My dad, uh, who's still fighting, uh, thank you for your continued prayers and support. He did have a, a very rough week this week, uh, but we just appreciate your ongoing prayers and your support and encouragement in these times. In thinking about my dad, he, he loved sleep, still loves sleep. When I was growing up, my, all of our bedrooms were in the back of the house. We had a, a one-story little house with a, a basement. And so our bedrooms were in the back of the house. And in the front of the house was the living room and the dining room. And in the dining room, we had a fairly large kind of stereo system. And my father would use that stereo system as his alarm clock in the morning. Because if he set an alarm by the bed, he would just turn it off and go back to sleep. And so whenever he had to wake up in the morning, I think not only did our entire house wake up, but I think the entire neighborhood woke up as that stereo system began blaring through the entire house. And he would scurry his way into the dining room to turn that alarm off on the entertainment center, but then he would go back to bed. And as he was heading back to bed, as he would pass us, he would say, could you come wake me up in five minutes? And so we'd count out the five minutes and go wake him up. And he would say, give me five more minutes. And so we'd go back and, and count the five minutes. And we'd come back and wake him up. It's just five more minutes. It was a very difficult task to awaken my dad in the morning. Maybe that's where I get it as well. This morning, as we begin these 40 days of prayer, we're looking at this theme of reawakening to the glory of Christ. And we want to look at the sense of what does it mean to be reawakened? Because to be reawakened implies that you've been awakened and now you're being reawakened. Uh, my father was awakened by the blaring alarm in the, from the stereo system and then we had to reawaken him, sometimes on a number of occasions. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Ephesians gives this invitation to the reader, to the listener, to awaken from sleep, to awaken from a place of, of death, to awaken from a place of apathy. And it says, Christ will shine on you. So we want to look at three points this morning. And the first, all three of them are questions. And the first question is as follows, is a reawakening possible for our generation? Is a reawakening possible for our generation? And if you look through the course of church history, we find many great times of awakening, and we've named two of them as the first great awakening, the second great awakening. We have these moments in history when God seems to work powerfully among his people, that there is a large-scale reawakening to the glory and majesty of Christ. But what does it mean to reawaken? Literally, it means to emerge or cause to emerge again with reference to a feeling or state. Also, it could mean a renewal of a feeling or interest. This is what we have throughout history. In the first great awakening, the second great awakening, the, the Jesus people movement and others, 
And especially with the first and second great awakening, it's interesting this pattern that we see. What we see is a generation that is diligent in their faith. A generation that is diligent to live for Christ and they become somewhat legalistic in their living for Christ. As they mean well, they kind of set up some pretty strict parameters and they raise their children not so much to love Jesus, not that they don't want their kids to love Jesus, but it becomes more important to this generation that their children obey the rules than to love Jesus. And so we have a generation that grows up and all they know is I'm supposed to obey the rules. And if you grow up thinking that I have to obey the rules and you know nothing of love for Jesus, it becomes this very half-hearted spirituality. And so beginning with that second generation, there is an apathy that sets in. And whether it's their children or the generation after that, there is a realization that we have drifted. And that's why you get some of these famous preachers from the Great Awakenings who would come and, and just preach hellfire messages to reawaken people who claim the name of Jesus, but whose lives are not impacted by the reality of Jesus. These times of awakenings can be described as times of deep hunger for Jesus, a deep hunger for the presence of Jesus in our lives, a deep hunger for the word of Christ, a deep hunger for the spirit of Christ, a deep hunger for the gospel of Christ, a deep hunger. Do we have a deep hunger for Christ? A deep hunger for for Jesus. And it's very significant that using this phrase of deep hunger, because there's a difference between hunger and deep hunger. Sometimes there's hunger, you just get a little you know, stomach grumbles a little bit, or sometimes you're just bored and well, I think I'll have a snack. But then there's deep hunger. A deep hunger that is, if I don't eat something, I'm going to faint. If I don't eat something, I'm going to collapse. If I don't eat something soon, I don't know what's going to happen, but I have to eat now because it's been so long and you're just starving and you're longing for that hunger to be satisfied. And so the question I think for our generation today when it comes to Jesus is do we have a deep hunger for Christ? If it's a passing hunger, if it's a, I could eat, we'll not see awakening. If it's a sense of, you know, just a little quick church fix and I'll be good, we're not going to see awakening. There needs to be within our souls this deep hunger and thirst and passion for the presence of Christ or else we feel like we're going to collapse. Have we spiritually gotten to that point? where our hunger for Christ has consumed us. Because when we have that hunger, we will do whatever it takes to satisfy that hunger. We will sit in the presence of Christ and wait for him. We will sit before his word and allow it to speak to us. And as we do these things, as we repent of the sins that we know are blocking us from receiving the presence of Christ, there are three things that happen. The first one is renewal. A fresh energy comes first into us personally, and then corporately into the church. 
For many years and many generations, I know that Christians across the country have been praying for revival. And sometimes we pray for revival with the sense of we want it to happen big scale. We want the church to be revived. But we skip over a very important step. And that is, in order for the church to be revived, remember what you learned long ago, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and there's all the people. The church is people. The church cannot be revived if the people are not revived, if the people are not experiencing a renewal. But if you have people in the congregation who are experiencing renewal, that is going to manifest itself in a corporate renewal as a church. And so that will lead from renewal into revival. Revival, which is an acceleration of the work of the Spirit in us and in His church. There will be a revived sense of the presence of Christ that's going to lead us to an awakening. That what God is doing in His church is going to spill out into the culture and the world will be changed. Notice how we flip that. A lot of times we want to kind of legislate a change in the morality of our society. We want to shake our fist at just all the bad things that are happening in society. But if you look at like the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, what was happening in local communities where pubs were shutting down? Because people were so encountering the presence of Christ, they weren't interested in going to get drunk anymore. That when the church is revived, when that revival spills out in the community, all of a sudden that community is transformed by the presence of Christ. The people of God experience renewal that leads to revival in the church, that leads to an awakening in the culture and the community. Awakenings are characterized by a renewed sense of the glory of Christ a return to our first love. What is our most important love? What is our greatest priority in life? Now, the Sunday school answer, of course, is Jesus. But as we think about our lives, how we spend our time, how we spend our energy and our resources, so often we invest our passions in, in following the news. We invest our passions in politics. We invest our passions in this thing over here or that thing over there. And, and we fight for the cause of Christ. But we lose sight of Christ himself. Interesting that we began by reading from Ephesians because in Revelation, Jesus says to the Ephesian church, you believe all the right things, you're doing all the right things, but you don't love me anymore. And if that doesn't change, I'm shutting you down. That seems pretty harsh of Jesus, doesn't it? That a church that's doing all the right things, believing all the right things, but Jesus says, you don't love me, and so you're on the clock that Jesus was willing to close down the church of Ephesus if they didn't return to loving him. He didn't say, I want you to stop believing all the right things. He didn't say, I want you to stop doing all the right things. He said, I want you to add to that, loving me again. The people of God, loving and prioritizing Christ is the first step of awakening for our generation. The second question is, what's the role of theology and orthodox teaching 
in a reawakening. The role of theology and orthodox teaching in a reawakening. In other words, what is our view of Jesus? Does that matter and is that important? What's our Christology? What do we believe about Jesus? Within the Christian Missionary Alliance, in order to be ordained, you get asked all kinds of questions about what you believe about Jesus. And that is a vitally important question for Jesus to ask you, who do you say that I am? But I want to take it a step beyond that and say that believing the right things about Jesus is half the equation. Because all we have to do is go through recent church history and we can rattle off all kinds of people who had fantastic Christology but who lived their lives as though Jesus was no part of it. Having the right belief about Jesus is vitally important. But if that is not equaled with living in light of our Christology, what good is it? To live the reality of the Lordship of Christ, how does this impact our walk? Because simply having a better theology of Jesus isn't going to bring awakening. What's going to bring an awakening is a personal face-to-face encounter with the living and resurrected Christ that changes how we live. So that what we say we believe about Jesus is equaled by how we live for Jesus. The last question. Do you desire to see the glory of Christ? Do you personally desire to see the glory of Christ in your life? I'm sure all of us would say, I want to see the glory of Christ revealed throughout the world. I want to see the glory of Christ revealed in this nation. I want to see the glory of Christ throughout Western Pennsylvania. I want to see the glory of Christ revealed at Christ Alliance Church. But it all begins with this question. Do you desire to see the glory of Christ in your life? It's not about waiting for everybody else to do it. It's about saying, Jesus, I am at a point of deep hunger and desperation for your presence. I need that. I'm not going to look at everybody else and point my fingers at everybody else. I need that in my life. A couple of years ago, I read a biography of a man named John Hyde. He was known as Praying Hyde. In 1904, uh, God used this missionary, John Hyde, Praying Hyde, to fuel a reawakening. His prayer life inspired an entire group of missionaries in their own prayer lives. These missionaries became members of what's called the Punjab Prayer Union. It was built on these five questions that I want us to ask, and they are also printed in your bulletin behind your sermon notes page, so you don't have to worry about writing any fill-ins. You can just focus on listening to the questions. Are you praying for quickening in your own life, in the life of your fellow workers, and in the church? To what extent is this a part of your prayer life? praying for a quickening of the Spirit in your life. It's great that we pray for needs and people who are sick and people who, are, who need jobs and have needs that need to be met. That is fantastic. But to what place are we giving priority to saying, Jesus, I need your Spirit to renew and awaken my life. 
I need your spirit to renew and awaken my brothers and sisters in Christ and my church. I need your spirit to reawaken us to the glory of Christ as, as a region, as a community. Are we committing ourselves to praying for a reawakening? Second question. Are you longing for greater power of the Holy Spirit in your own life and work? And are you convinced that you cannot go on without this power? Very important question. And it's phrased very importantly. Are you longing for greater power of the Holy Spirit in your own life and work? Just start with that part. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. We can labor and toil and spin our wheels and work ourselves to death. But without Christ, we will accomplish nothing. Have you come to a point of saying, Jesus, this isn't working anymore. I'm trying to do all these right things and it's going nowhere. Are you convinced that you cannot go on without this power? Again, it's that point, same question as hunger. Are you truly hungry for him? Do we truly recognize that Jesus, unless the power of your spirit is upon me, I can't do anything else. I give up. Because anything I do, Lord, is absolutely pointless if your spirit is not there. Lord, I can't go on without the power of your Holy Spirit. Third question. Will you pray that you may not be ashamed of Jesus? That you may not be ashamed of Jesus. Again, this has nothing to do with not being ashamed of the cause of Christ. Because there's a lot of causes that we get very passionate about and we say, because I'm bold about this cause, therefore I'm bold about Jesus. Let's flip those. Let's focus on Jesus. That I am not ashamed of Jesus. And because I'm not ashamed of Jesus, because I'm head over heels in love with Jesus, these things are also important to me. But it starts here. That what our world needs is Him. The world isn't going to be saved because we promote causes and agendas. It's saved through Christ and Christ alone. We can have the perfect laws in place. There will not be a revival. Because it's not about the causes. It's about Christ Will you pray that you wouldn't be ashamed of the person of Jesus Christ? Fourth question. Do you believe that prayer is the great means for securing this spiritual awakening? All of these things that we long to see. We long to see the nations reached with the gospel. We long to see this nation reached with the gospel. We long to see our region and our county and our town reach for Jesus. We long to see the, this church experience reawakening and revival and a sense of the presence of Christ. How do we get there? By trying harder? By giving more money? No. 
Prayer. Do we pray like this work depends on it? Do we pray like our prayers actually make a difference? That God works in response to praying people. Because if we don't think that prayer really matters, we're not going to do it. But if we believe that through prayer, God will respond to change the world, why in the world would we not access what he's made available for us? And the last question. Will you set apart one half hour each day? And praying hide says as soon afternoon as possible. It could just be any half hour throughout every day to pray for this awakening. And are you willing to pray until the awakening comes? Are you willing in 2022 to say, Lord, I'm going to take a half hour and if that means I don't get to my list of needs or the people who are sick who need your touch and all those other things, so be it. Lord, I will pray for 30 minutes that you would reawaken your bride, that you would reawaken my life, that you would reawaken my church, that you would reawaken this community, that you would reawaken this nation, that you would reawaken this world to the glory of Jesus. How will you respond? The, these 40 days could be, you know, we'll have different theme messages every week and we'll have these weekly devotions that you can read through and answer the questions and it'll be all nice, but then we can move on like it's any other day or any other week. There's nothing magical about what the Alliance has provided in these 40 days of prayer. What we're doing, saying let's take 40 days and earnestly seek the face of Jesus. To fall in love with Jesus. I know it's not part of Alliance history, but I am so captivated by the Jesus people movement of the 60s and 70s. There were some flaws as every awakening has had. But the center of that movement, it was called the Jesus people, the Jesus movement for a reason. It was Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And if ever there was a need for another generation to rise up and say, we're going to make this about Jesus. Remember the hymn from A.B. Simpson, Jesus only. Jesus only. Will this be a year for us? Will these be 40 days for us? Of falling in love with Jesus again, of crying out to him in desperation to reawaken us, his bride, his church, his people. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer. You know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope to learn more about 
our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.